This week, the Gospel Express remembers the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. If you want to brighten up things all around you, yeah Listen up, here's what you must do
was a Baptist minister and civil rights activist who made a major impact on race relations in the United States beginning in the 1950s. Among his many efforts, Dr. King headed the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the SCLC. Through his activism and inspirational speeches, he played a pivotal role in ending the legal segregation of African-American citizens in the United States, as well as the creation of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Dr. King won the Nobel Prize in 1964. Among many other honors, he continues to be remembered as one of the most influential and inspirational African-American leaders in history. Understanding 
Martin Luther King was born Michael King Jr. on January 15, 1929. Martin Luther King Jr. was the middle child of Michael King Sr. and Alberta Williams King. The King and Williams families had roots in rural Georgia. Martin Jr.'s grandfather, A.D. Williams, was a rural minister for years and moved to Atlanta in 1893. He took over the small, struggling Ebenezer Baptist Church with around 13 members and made it into a forceful congregation. He married Jenny Celeste Parks, and they had one child that survived named Alberta. Martin Sr. came from a family of sharecroppers in a poor farming community. He married Alberta Williams in 1926 after an eight-year courtship. The newlyweds moved to A.D.'s home in Atlanta. Martin Sr. stepped in as pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church upon the death of his father-in-law in 1931. He too became a successful minister and adopted the name Martin Luther King Sr. in honor of the German Protestant religious leader Martin Luther. In due time, Michael Jr. would follow his father's lead and adopt the name Martin Luther himself. King had an older sister, Willie Christine, and a younger brother, Alfred Daniel Williams King. The King children grew up in a secure and loving environment. Martin Sr. was more the disciplinarian, while the wife's gentleness easily balanced out the father's strict hand. Though they 
undoubtedly tried, King's parents couldn't shield him from racism. Martin Sr. fought against racial prejudice, not just because his race suffered, but because he considered racism and segregation to be an affront to God's will. He strongly discouraged any sense of class superiority in his children, which left a lasting impression on Martin Jr. Growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, King entered the public school system at the age of five. In May of 1936, he was baptized, but the event made little impression impression on him. In May of 1941, King was 12 years old when his grandmother, Jenny, died of heart attack. The event was traumatic for King, more so because he was out watching a parade against his parents' wishes when she died. King Jr. attended Booker T. Washington High School, where he was said to be a precocious student. He skipped both the 9th and 11th grades and entered Morehouse College in Atlanta at the age of 15 in 1944. He was a popular student, especially with his female classmates. Although his family was deeply involved in the church and worship, King questioned religion in general and felt uncomfortable with overly emotional displays of religious worship. This discomfort continued through much of his adolescence, initially leading him to decide against entering into ministry, much to his father's dismay. But in his junior year, King took a Bible class, renewed his faith, and began to envision a career in ministry. In the fall of his senior year, he told his father of his decision. Our opinions might not be the same. There's so many things that are hand in hand Never can be torn apart Together we stand Divided we fall Let's fill up the breeze Tear down the wall Let us respond To our brother's call
In 1948, King earned a sociology degree from Morehouse College and attended the Liberal Arts Crozier Theological Seminary in Chester, Pennsylvania. He thrived in all his studies and was valedictorian of his class in 1951. He was also elected student body president. He also earned a fellowship for graduate study. But King also rebelled against his father's more conservative influence. During his last year in seminary, King came under the guidance of Morehouse College President Benjamin E. Mays to influence King's spiritual development. Mays was an outspoken advocate for racial equality and encouraged King to view Christianity as a potential force for social change. After being accepted at several colleges for his doctoral study, King enrolled in Boston University. During the work on his doctorate, King met Coretta Scott, an aspiring singer and musician at the New England Conservatory School in Boston. They were married in June of 1953 and had four children, Yolanda, Martin King III, Dexter, and Bernice. In 1954, while still working on his dissertation, King became the pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church of Montgomery, Alabama. He completed his Ph.D. and earned his degree in 1955. He was only 25 years old. 
On May 2nd, 1955, a 15-year-old girl refused to give up her seat to a white man on a Montgomery City bus in violation of local law. Teenager Claudette Coven was arrested and taken to jail. At first, the local chapter of the NAACP felt they had an excellent test case to challenge Montgomery's segregated bus policy. This would scandalize the deeply religious black community and make Colvin, and thus the group's efforts, less credible in the eyes of sympathetic white people. On December 1st, 1955, they got another chance to make their case. That evening, 42-year-old Rosa Parks boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus to go home after after an exhausting day at work, she sat in the first row of the colored section in the middle of the bus. As the bus traveled its routes, all the seats in the white section were filled up and several more white passengers boarded the bus. The bus driver noted that there were several white men standing and demanded that Parks and several other African Americans give up their seats. Three other African American passengers reluctantly gave up their places, but Parks remained Seated. The driver asked again to give up her seat and again she refused. Parks was arrested and booked for violating the Montgomery City Code. At her trial a week later in a 30-minute hearing, Parks was found guilty and fined $10 and assessed a $4 court fee. On the night that Parks was arrested, Edie Nixon, head of the local NAACP chapter, met with Dr. King and other local civil rights leaders to plan Montgomery bus boycott. King was elected to lead the boycott because he was young, well-trained, with solid family connections, and had professional standing. But he was also new to the community and had few enemies, so it was felt that he would have strong credibility with the black community. In his first speech as the group's president, King declared, We have no alternative but to protest. For many years, we have shown an amazing patience. We have sometimes given our white brothers the feeling that we liked the way we were being treated. But we come here tonight to be saved from the patience that makes us patient with anything less than freedom and justice. There comes a time when we heed a certain call. When the world must come together as one There are people dying Oh, when it's time to lend a hand to life The greatest gift of all We can go on Pretending day by day That someone, somewhere Soon make a change. We all a part of God's great big family. And the truth, you know, love is all we need. We are
Skillful rhetoric 
put new energy into the civil rights struggle in Alabama. The bus boycott involved walking to work, harassment, violence, and intimidation for Montgomery's African-American community. Both King and Nixon's homes were attacked. But the African-American community also took legal action against the city ordinance, arguing that it was unconstitutional based on the Supreme Court's separate is never equal decision in Brown versus the Board of Education. After being defeated in several lower court rulings and suffering large financial losses, the city of Montgomery lifted the law mandating segregated public transportation. King's participation in the organization gave him a base of operation throughout the South as well as a national platform. The organization felt the best place to start to give African Americans a voice was to enfranchise them in the voting process. In February of 1958, the SCLC sponsored more than 20 mass meetings in key southern cities to register black voters in the South. King was met with religious and civil rights leaders and lectured all over the country on race-related issues. In 1959, with the help of the Americans Friends Service Committee and inspired by Mahatma Gandhi's success with nonviolent activism, King visited Gandhi's birthplace in India. The trip affected him in a profound way, increasing his commitment to America's civil rights struggle. By 1960, Dr. King was gaining national exposure. He returned to Atlanta to become co-pastor with his father at the Ebenezer Baptist Church, but also continued his civil rights efforts. On October 19, 1960, King and 75 students entered a local department store and requested lunch counter service, but was denied. When they refused to leave the counter area, King and 36 others were arrested. Realizing the incident would hurt the city's reputation, Atlanta's mayor negotiated a truce and charges were eventually dropped. But soon after, King was imprisoned for violating his probation on a traffic conviction. The news of his imprisonment entered the 1960 presidential campaign when candidate John F. Kennedy made a phone call to Coretta Scott King. Kennedy expressed his concern for King's harsh treatment for the traffic ticket and the political pressure was quickly set in motion. King was soon released. In the spring of 1963, King organized a demonstration in downtown Birmingham, Alabama. With entire families in attendance, city police turned dogs and fire hoses on demonstrators. King was jailed along with large numbers of supporters, but the event drew nationwide attention. However, King was personally criticized by black and white clergy alike for taking risks and endangering the children who attended the demonstration.
In the famous letter from Birmingham jail, King eloquently spelled out his theory of nonviolence. Nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and foster such a tension that a community which was constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. By the end of the Birmingham campaign, King and supporters were making plans for a massive demonstration on the nation's capital composed of multiple organizations, all asking for peaceful change. On August 28, 1963, the historic March on Washington drew more than 200,000 people in the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial. It was here that King made his most famous speech, I Have a Dream, emphasizing his belief that someday all men could be brothers. The rising of the civil rights agitation produced a strong effort on public opinion. Many people in cities not experiencing racial tension began to question the nation's Jim Crow laws and the near century of second-class treatment of African-American citizens. This resulted in the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 authorizing the federal government to enforce desegregation of public accommodations and outlawing discrimination in publicly owned facilities. This also led to King receiving the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. King's struggle continued throughout the 60s. Often it seemed as though the pattern of progress was two steps forward and one step back. On March 7, 1965, a civil rights march planned from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama's capital turned violent as police with nightsticks and tear gas met the demonstrators as they tried to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. King was not there for the march. However, the attack was televised showing horrifying images of marchers being bloodied and severely injured. 17 demonstrators were hospitalized in a day that would be called Bloody Sunday. A second march was canceled due to a restraining order to prevent the march from taking place. A third march was planned and this time King made sure that he was part of it. Not wanting to alienate Southern judges by violating the restraining order, a different approach was taken. On March 9, 1965, a procession of 2,500 marchers, both black and white, set out once again to cross the Pettus Bridge and confronted barricades and state troopers. Instead of forcing a confrontation, Ken led the followers to kneel in prayer and then they turned back. On March 21st, approximately 2,000 people began a march from Selma to Montgomery, a state capital. On March 25th, the number of marchers, which had grown to an estimated 25,000, gathered in front of the state capital where King delivered a televised speech. Five months after his historic peaceful protest, President Johnson signed the 1965 Voting Rights Act.
From late 1965 through 1967, King expanded his civil rights efforts into other larger American cities, including Chicago and Los Angeles. But he met with increasing criticism and public challenges from young black power leaders. King's patient, nonviolent approach and appeal to white middle-class citizens alienated many black militants who considered his methods to be weak and too ineffective. To address the criticism, King began making a link between discrimination and poverty, and he began to speak out against the Vietnam War and the government's conduct in the war discriminatory to the poor. He sought to broaden his base by forming multiracial coalitions to address address the economic and unemployment problems of all disadvantaged people. By 1968, the years of discriminations and confrontations were beginning to wear on King. He had grown tired of marchers going to jail and living under the constant threat of death. He was becoming discouraged at the slow progress of civil rights in America and the increasing criticism from other African-American leaders. Plans were in the works for another march on Washington to revive his movement and bring attention to a widening range of issues. In the spring of 1968, a labor strike by Memphis sanitation workers drew King to one last crusade. On April 3rd, he gave his final prophetic speech, I've Been to the Mountaintop, in which he told supporters at the Mason Temple in Memphis, I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. The next day, while standing on the balcony outside of his room at the Lorraine Motel, Martin Luther King Jr. was killed by a sniper's bullet. The shooter, a malcontent drifter and former convict named James Earl Ray, was eventually apprehended after a two-month international manhunt. The assassination sparked riots and demonstrations in more than 100 cities across the country. In 1969, Ray pleaded guilty to assassinating King and was sentenced to 99 years in prison. He died in prison on April 23, 1998. Dr. King's life and seismic impact on race relations in the United States. Years after his death, he is the most widely known African-American leader of his era. One of these mornings Won't be very long you look for me And I'll be gone That's the way I'm going to a place Where there'll be nothing, nothing to do Simply walk around heaven all day. When I get to
have been honored with a national holiday, schools and public buildings named after him, and a memorial on Independence Mall in Washington, D.C. In 1983, President Ronald Reagan signed into law a bill creating Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a federal holiday honoring the legacy of the slain civil rights leader. Martin Luther King Jr. Day was celebrated in 1986 and in all 50 states in 2000. Wake up, wake up! You've got the power! My people in the east, yo, you gotta wake up Midwest, dirty south, yo, you gotta stand up All my homies in the west, yo, you gotta wake up Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up Right. 
do you believe that the children of the world deserve a good life? Well, if you do, it's time to wake up your mind. We can make it better, and I know it might take some time, but we gotta start somewhere. How about with you and me? From us, it goes to others, then we'll have our unity. Wake up, all the doctors make the old people well. They're the ones who suffer, catch all the hell. But they don't have so very long before the judgment day. So won't you make them happy before they pass away? Everybody's wake up call time. I can't sleep too long. Why they do the people wrong? Let's clean the world up before they sweep you gone. This is real talk. You can peek through songs. So when you feel weak, these words will keep you strong and help make a change for the better. It's hard for one to do it, but we can make some changes together.
Pour 